From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, June 17th. I have another trash can and I'm transferring it in. Okay. Arba Adams is covered head to toe in PPE. She's wearing a full-length smock, gloves, mask, all of it to properly handle the contents of a bright white trash can. Yeah, this one's a little ripe. Did you say ripe? Yes. (laughs) We're at the Lions Park Transit Hub. Adams is the programs manager at Canyonland Solid Waste Authority, and this white trash can she's inspecting is one of the first official wag bag disposal bins. Just getting people to know what they are and to use them is the, is a really big hurdle. So if we can get that to happen, that's fantastic. Wag bags are short for waste alleviation and gelling bags. They're portable containers you can put to use when the need strikes on a desert trail. And it looks like more than a few people have figured out how to dispose of them locally, right here in this white bin at Lions Park. We've got a couple in here. Okay. You want to see? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I see you holding your nose. (laughs) Yep, holding my nose. It's over 100 degrees outside, and these wag bags smell like they've been here for a couple days, since Adams last collected them. It's her job right now to run collections on the wag bag disposal system which consists of five bins placed around town. The system just launched this month, and the bins are already in use. This one at Lions Park Transit Hub did not disappoint. Our collections workers, everyone told me in advance that this would be the good place. Where they found the most, uh, you know, human waste and wag bags has been here. Finding human waste in the regular trash has become a big problem for solid waste workers lately. Nothing ruins your day worse than being covered in human waste. I've seen, just with my own eyes, two separate drivers be hit with, with human waste, and it's just, it's miserable. Ron Bogart has worked in solid waste in Moab for over a decade. We're speaking in his office, which doubles as a break room. He says he's done a bit of everything here. Separated garbage at the transfer station, driven a collections route. Now he's a manager. I've seen it all. Every unsavory bit of it. Over his 11 years in the industry, he says human waste has become much more of a problem. Bogart says, sure, they're finding more wag bags in residential and commercial trash pickups. But they're also finding ammo cans full of waste, even five-gallon buckets. Well, originally when I started, we would see maybe on the high end one a week, one every other week. And now we're getting into the double digits weekly easily. Now it's getting to the point where we're finding five-gallon buckets that people have been using for extended amounts of time. We've found 30-gallon trash bags being used as wag bags, but they're completely full. It's, yeah, it's absolutely increased in the time I've been here. This increase means more chances of a miserable day for solid waste employees on their collections route. That's because the truck compresses trash. So what happens is we don't see them go into the truck and then there's a blade that creates a lot of pressure as it compacts the garbage. And if that wag bag's in just the right spot, it puts it under enough pressure where it will rupture. And then out it comes. And if you're standing in the wrong spot, then it's gonna hit you. We had one driver get covered from head to toe. His partner drove him straight to his house and he took several showers, threw away his clothes. Um, he was just done. It's absolutely discouraging. We deal with everything nobody wants in their life. 
they throw it away and that's what we deal with every day. It's a serious issue uh, that we're dealing with. Jonathan Dutrow, environmental scientist at the Southeast Utah Health Department. His main concern here is the potential transmission of infectious disease. Human waste out on the trail can contaminate water, and human waste in a trash compactor can expose workers. Mobs probably not the only community having issues with this, but as far as I know, we're the only community that has actually banned wag bags from going into the trash, and we're also the community that really needs to use wag bags and have wag bags in use. The Center for Outdoor Ethics runs the influential Leave No Trace program. They say when it comes to, well, number two on the trail, it's important to minimize water contamination, social impacts, and the spread of disease. So for a popular desert ecosystem like Moab, that means packing out everything that you, well, pack in. With just the uh, thousands of uh, tourists we have now exploring our area, kind of create a situation where really um, people need to be calling out all their waste. Everybody has yeah, water. Okay. Okay. Everybody has water staying on the trail. It's 95 degrees in the shade as responsible recreation coordinator Anna Sprout interacts with visitors at the Mill Creek Trailhead. She and her coworker are with Grand County's Trail Ambassador Program. They've got water for people who need it, information about BioCrest, a no smoking sign to let people know about fire restrictions. It's a one-stop shop for trail education. And then right here we have stickers as a thank you for staying on the trail. We give these out only after folks have done the hard work of one, having fun, and two, taking care of our trail. Among the fun stuff, they've also got free wag bags. Each one has a sticker with the address of an approved disposal site. I ask Sprout how she brings the conversation up with visitors. They're really funny and awkward conversations to have, but you just kind of have to embrace the awkwardness of it. It, it totally depends um, on the situation, but let's say I've talked about BioCrest. Um, it's early in the morning, and I say, just so you know, uh, we also have an ordinance here in this county where we can't leave human waste in the desert. We can't dig holes anymore like we can in other other ecosystems. And so if the coffee strikes, it's really important to use a toilet of some type. She hopes this information sticks in people's minds. Sprout says while stationed at Corona Arch one day this season, the trail ambassadors interacted with a record 1,000 people. Here at Mill Creek, a busy day can average around three to 400 people. If just 1% of these visitors needs to use the bathroom on the trail, well, it can become problematic. On a trail, you can find different areas. It builds up slowly until it's too much. And so um, we just we want to stop the, the slow flow of poop in our area. <laughs> and I think for the longest time, people have been doing what we were taught was right, which was to either bury it or do some other desert-specific disposal. And now it's changing, and it seems a little, slightly more inconvenient and slightly more gross to carry out your waste. But what's, what's left is even grosser because it affects larger populations of people. Um, and so it's about changing a small part of the culture in every um, type of sport we have out here. Changing culture will take time. Every person I spoke with says it's all about education. Step one, get people to pack out their human waste from the trail. Step two, get them to dispose of it in the right way. We all hope 
there's a magic bolt somewhere that we can just take care of this. But I think, you know, we're looking several years to, to really kind of make these these changes and changing human behavior. Dutrow at the health department. In his opinion, wag bags are helpful, but they are simply not that magic bullet. They're full of plastic and... Somebody still has to deal with them. They still have to go to landfill. He'd like to see more people, especially long-term campers, using portable toilets. The health department has secured partial funding for a scat machine that's basically an industrial dishwasher for portable toilets. Dutrow says that's just part of the solution, too. It's going to take many different angles to make sure human waste stays out of the desert and out of the hands of solid waste workers. At some point, as a community, the county, agencies, the health department, the solid waste authority, like we're going to have to get together here. We're going to have to put some money towards it if if we want to solve this problem. This county almost needs a, a poop crew to <laughs> to deal with this. You know, this is great. Whoever is putting their bags in here, I'm just so happy that they figured out this is what to do and just keep doing it. For now, a main member of the county's semi-official poop crew is Adams from the Solid Waste Authority. Back at Lions Park, she explains that wag bags go in her truck. And then I just drive it directly to transfer station and we dump it right on a trailer. So it's nothing gets compacted, just goes straight to Klondike landfill. She's pretty cheerful about leading collections on this experimental wag bag disposal program. I'm just so happy to help my co-workers. I mean, some of them have been doing this 20, 30 years, you know. I mean, they're essential workers. She points out that it's currently Waste and Recycling Workers Week, a chance to honor and recognize their hard work. Adam says if she can help divert even a little bit of human waste from their trash compactors, she feels like she's really contributing to the team. The experimental wag bag disposal system will run through September, Then, local agencies will evaluate the data and make recommendations for the future. But among the people I spoke with, they already know they want it to expand. They'd like to partner with local businesses on education efforts, discuss the possibility of wag bag disposal bins at popular trailheads. All this, of course, could take funding. But for now, the city, county, health department, and Solid Waste Authority say they're doing what they can. And I wouldn't call it a solution because you're never going to solve the problem of human waste. It's always going to be there. But how can we manage it the best way we can with the resources that we have? The website Discover Moab has information on how to pack out and dispose of human waste in Moab. You can find it at discovermoab.com poop. And to throw out your wag bags, look for the bright white trash cans around town. Disposal sites include Lions Park, the health department, and the solid waste transfer station. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories about the Moab area. A period western has gotten the green light to film in Grand County. Sophia Fisher with the Times Independent has more. An exciting kind of showbiz front page this week. Um, Some major film projects, including a series led by noted actor and director Kevin Costner, is going to be filming in the Moab area this upcoming fall. I know there's been some coverage in local and state media about incentivizing film projects in rural Utah, and this was one of them. Um, Tell us about the project. Yeah, it's called Horizon, an American Saga. It's a series, I believe, five parts. Um, and it's a period Western that chronicles kind of pre and post um, Civil War era West. 
There's a production office already being set up in town, and it looks like the first round of filming is going to occur from about September to November and might be returning in the future as well because they are using Moab as an anchor location. Now, incentivizing this project and others in rural Utah, one of the main arguments was that it was going to help spur economic activity. Um, Did you talk to um, the film commissioner about that? I did. I spoke with Biga Metzner, who's the commissioner for the Moab to Monument Valley Film Commission, has done an incredible amount of work bringing this project and other projects here. Um, And yeah, I mean, the total statewide economic impact of even just this Costner project is estimated to be $54 million. So if Grand County even just gets a chunk of that, um, you know, we're, we've got a lot of money coming our way. And I, I spoke with Metzner and she said, you know, film the film cast and crew, there's going to be hundreds of them here and they fill hotel beds. They have weekly per diems that they want to spend in local gift shops, like eating out at local restaurants. And she said they are trying to hire local cast and crew when possible. So there are going to be um, opportunities if you want to be a background actor or potentially a crew member, assuming you have crew experience. Mm -hmm. You know, if people are interested in work, how would they, you know, get in touch with the film commission? Totally. Um, I mean, if they're interested in acting, Metzner said she will be, as, you know, opportunities arise, she'll be posting them on the uh, film commission's social media channels, probably like the Moab Classifieds Mm -hmm. Facebook page, things like that. Um, And if you are a crew member or you want to be hired as a crew member, you need an address that's in Grand or San Juan counties, as well as credit on at least one production already. And if you have those things, you can get in touch with Metzner and get added to the production directory that she's set up for folks who are filming in the area. In addition to Horizon, there were, I believe, another 12 or so um, projects approved for this film incentive last week, by the way, which was you know heavily lobbied locally and, and just passed the state legislature a few months ago. Um, and the one other project that's going to be filming in Grand County is the first season of a TV show called Retreat. So it's a little smaller. It's got an estimated impact of 1.4 million rather than 54, so a little smaller production. Um, but definitely keep an eye out for that as well and for you know potentially future projects coming to Moab I mean Metzner said she's hard at work developing more projects for the area well thank you so much for the coverage Sophia and where do you want to take us next thank you um political allegation around a U.S. representative um, in the Moab area uh, representative Lauren Boebert who represents um, a Colorado congressional district um, was alleged to be involved in a crash in a jeep in May of 2020 and she was allegedly intoxicated at the time. Um, My editor, Doug McMurdo, did did a lot of digging. He talked to Sheriff Steve White, with whom a complaint had originally been filed, Mm. as well as Andy Smith, who's the head of Grand County EMS. And neither of them can find any record of a Jeep accident on that day. It's still possible that there are records of it through an air ambulance company that we were not immediately able to get in touch with. But at the same time, a spokesperson for Bobert adamantly denied the charges and said she doesn't drink alcohol, um, which would, you know, throw mm. some some daggers into the allegations. So where did these allegations come from? Well, Sheriff Steve White received a letter from a self-described watchdog group known as American Muckrakers Pack Inc. Um, and a member of that group also showed us an audio file that he says is from Bobert's then sister-in-law discussing the accident and talking about it. Again, we cannot confirm that it's actually her former sister-in-law. So Doug did a little bit of digging once he had learned about the allegations and nothing is confirmable. Correct. (laughs) All right. You know, we might find out more, in which case there'll be more stories or it might be the end of the road on the investigation. And if we could go somewhere else in the paper, um, school resource officers. This is an article you wrote, Sophia. What do you want to highlight from this piece? Yeah, um, the Grand County School District are again going to get a school resource officer 
officer um, from the Moab City Police Department. They'd previously had one, but that officer got reassigned about a year and a half ago, potentially due to the understaffing that was plaguing Mm -hmm. the department. Mm -hmm. Um, But I spoke with uh, Moab Police Chief Jared Garcia, and he said he still doesn't have a lot of, you know, staffing resources, but he's still sending an officer to the schools because he says school safety is at the forefront of his mind. Mm -hmm. Um, So that person, a detective Eric Pratt, will be in starting, you know, this upcoming school year. And, you know, this comes in the wake of the Uvalde shooting several weeks ago. That's mm-hmm. kind of what spurred me to speak with um, the police chief and then Taryn Kay, the superintendent as well. Sure. And I know that that is something that the chief, the new chief has said um, that he wanted to prioritize. What is that going to look like? You know, is this officer going to be stationed at schools? Is he going to be engaging with the schools every day? Yeah, Pratt will be working at all three schools. So HMK, um, Hopkins Middle School, and then the Grand County High School. Um, And, you know, he can certainly provide a first line of response should there be some sort of threat against the school. He will be armed. Uh, But Garcia also emphasized that generally his mandate is to do community-oriented policing. So that has to do with developing positive interactions and positive relationships with students so that they have an experience with law enforcement outside of, like, high-stress situations, essentially. Um, So kind of a wide variety of tasks for this officer. I know that Taryn Kay also mentioned that she's in the process of compiling a really comprehensive list of all the safety measures the schools Mm -hmm. already have in place. And she said she'll have that ready for the public to see in July or August. That's great. I know the um, school board had had a, you know, school safety discussion at one of their most recent workshops. And that was like a top concern from some of the board members is Mm -hmm. like, let's um, tell the public what we're already doing and if there's more that can be done. And uh, finally, Sophia, I know there's one more piece that you wanted to mention inside the paper. Um, where do you want to take us next? Arroyo Crossing. A long-awaited affordable housing development near the NPS um, and USGS offices. Mm-hmm. Over a couple of years, it'll promise 300 new units of affordable housing for local Moabites. And you have some great photos on the inside of the paper of some of the houses that have gone up. It actually looks like a neighborhood out there right now. It's really exciting. Um, Yeah, I stopped by when some crews were installing solar panels on some houses. Mm -hmm. There are currently about 14 homes that are already under construction, so you can see them kind of popping up across the the landscape. Really exciting to see, and I think there are another several dozen coming online within the next year. They're also uh, making progress on the 32-unit apartment complex, a dozen twin homes, and two dozen cottages. So all sorts of different kinds of housing for different sectors of the housing market. Okay. And then, of course, you know, they're partnering with, like you said, these developers um, to get this work done. Um, Where can people find more information in case they're like, I could use an affordable place to live, (laughs) as we all could. Absolutely. Um, You can get in touch with the, I mean, there are so many partners on this project, but the Moab Area Community Land Trust, the Housing Authority of Southeastern Utah, Community Rebuild, Mm -hmm. they all have a big part to play in this development. So I think it's just really exciting to see. I mean, they had intended, I think, to start construction. Construction construction started maybe six months ago, but I know they tried to start more like a year ago, and then the project got slowed down due Mm -hmm. to legalities and um, paperwork and insurance and all of that annoying stuff. So um, I know that leadership on this project is just so excited to see everything go skyward. Sophia Fisher, staff writer at The Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. A salt injection well along the Dolores River in the Paradox Valley is back in operation. Maggie McGuire with the Moab Sun News explains. 
the Paradox Valley unit, which is, you know, kind of over there to the east and the western slope of Colorado, is a plant that was built to kind of scoop all of this water out of the Colorado River and try to basically make it less salty. Pretty straightforward solution to that problem. Except for they're like, okay, well, now we have all of this like hella salty water. What do we do with it? And uh, I would say a lot of people when you know, we talk about this issue are a little shocked by what the solution was, which is just to literally just inject it under the ground. <laughs> That's it. Just kind of squirt it into the caverns beneath the ground. Right. I'm sure that there was a lot of science that went into that. Mm-hmm. But when we're talking about like unexpected results, the Paradox Valley Salinity Control Unit has been linked to like literal actual earthquakes mm-hmm. um, that mm-hmm. have extended all the way over here to Moab. One of the problems right now is you would think that the earthquakes were mm-hmm. like kind of the challenge or the thing mm-hmm. that's alarming people. But actually, the plant itself was built in 1974. Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of on its last legs, I right. suppose you would say. And with everyone's recognition that maybe this isn't a perfect solution, the question now is, do you invest a lot of money in updating this facility that's maybe not that perfect? Mm-hmm. Or are there better options? Like, what what is the way forward for mm-hmm. this problem of salty water? Okay, so aging facility, a problem because they, it does cause earthquakes. Um, <laughs> it does. Like, maybe not super alarming ones, but anything causing earthquakes, I feel like, gets people's <laughs> attention. Very much so. What is going on right now with this facility? Um, is it still running? Yeah, so they did close it down for a while, and they just switched it back on for a test run mm-hmm. to kind of determine the future of whether they're going to continue with um, this particular method of, mm-hmm. of getting the salt out of the water how long can we expect it to be on six months they say six months and then they'll look at the data i mean i think that this is an interesting story too because it is connected to the future of the colorado river Mm -hmm. basin in general i also remember that the facility a it's aging but it's also getting full Mm -hmm. um the places where they're injecting the salt are reaching capacity yeah, that capacity is part of what the six-month test is going to mm-hmm. to determine is the data is going to be like, how efficiently is this working? Mm-hmm. And also like get a little bit better information about, as they refer to it, potential future injection scenarios. Mm-hmm. But when the well reaches its capacity, it's just going to be decommissioned. There's right. no real option. Any talk about um, what to do when that happens? They have a suite of options. We actually covered this back in 2020. So they've been really um, doing a lot of research into this for for years now. So one of the options is taking no action, Um, but also building a new well, you know, basically in just another location in that same valley. Um, You could also, I guess, not being a scientist, I was like, don't you just like Dry it out like Mm -hmm. you spilled salt water Mm -hmm. on your couch or whatever. And yeah, that is actually an option. There's other like technological um, ways of addressing it. Basically, like with additional plants, it would be a little bit maybe more hands on to deal with this Mm -hmm. brine. It's back on for a a test of six months, as reported in the Mobson News. But Mm -hmm. as you said, it's kind of on life support and they're Mm -hmm. looking at other options for the future. They're looking at other options. And I should remark that technically right now in the um, environmental impact statement, I believe the one that came out back in 2020, Mm -hmm. at that time, they had indicated that option A, taking no action was the preferred one at that time. So Mm. we'll see if this like six month test and having more data Mm. will change that or not. 
Well, thank you to the Momsen News for continued coverage on this issue. Before you go, I was hoping you could highlight another piece in the Momsen News, this time about mosquitoes. Ah, yes. I'm sure that you guys all remember if you were here about, I think, maybe two years ago. Mm -hmm. Man, it was a bad mosquito year, and we must have done a dozen mosquito articles to the extent that we were like, this is like too many. (laughs) Well, it's interesting because it is something that everybody has an opinion on. And exactly. And so in the paper this week, kind of moving that story forward into the future, Mm. that kind of directly addresses that, that Mm -hmm. maybe not everyone, but a lot of people really care a lot about mosquito control and how that is um, sort of carried out um, here in this valley. We have really big wetlands. Mosquitoes are just going to be a thing. Mm -hmm. Um, This is about an interesting way that residents can get involved. The Mosquito Abatement District, they got almost $50,000 to do like outreach and education for this cool citizen science project, which I think is really interesting. It's specifically through Department of Ag, earmarked for pest management. I just love that our community is like so engaged with actual like research and practical science it's cool so i if i'm an interested citizen scientist what are my tasks <laughs> so on june 22nd actually coming up you can head to a workshop about how to monitor mosquitoes so if you're hip to mosquito news there's irritating mosquitoes and mm-hmm. then there's like high level red danger mosquitoes mm-hmm. which are you know the names in latin and i'm not gonna do it so sorry everyone at home who really <laughs> wants to dunk on me it's just uh, i will refer to them as the bad ones sure so the bad ones can like carry um like west nile and Mm -hmm. they're just way more of a disease vector Mm -hmm. it just factors into like sort of the decision making process if we're getting like a little bit up by mosquitoes and it's irritating they might not go in like fog but you know if they are tracking like these particular bugs that are known to Mm -hmm. like i say kind of they're a public health risk right um it sort of ups that that danger alert so one of the things that the mosquito abatement district does is at places around town um, traps mosquitoes and kind of sees what species they are. So it'll help you identify the good ones from the bad ones. As you it'll do. help you like collect them and then they identify them in house, but it helps you sort of participate in that monitoring. And that would give them, you know, more data beyond just their traditional locations. Totally. And it's interesting because like they have a really small crew. Early detection of like nasty mosquitoes, yeah. you know, that way they can um, do interventions that, you know, aren't as upsetting to people right. as like a, you know, a large like kind of like fogging. Right. That really sucks. It upsets everyone. It makes your neighborhood feel kind of creepy. People can obviously argue about like mm-hmm. the, the chemical components and all of that kind of like technical data but I think the bottom line is like you know where they're like yeah if we can catch this early we can think about doing different things anything else to mention about like the citizen science component of it Maggie this is basically for monitoring this is like basically for for monitoring and and getting involved in that way here in Moab people are pretty aware I would say of the mosquito issue because again we have wetlands but even in neighborhoods it's kind of amazing um, where mosquitoes will breed Mm -hmm. they can breed Mm -hmm. in like a thimble full of water so you know folks are really aware Mm -hmm. of like bird baths or tiger Mm -hmm. that are collecting water or you know anything like that Mm -hmm. i guess it's also just kind of reminding people if you don't like mosquitoes like you also have to like kind of like look at your property and take care of it Mm -hmm. but i just really love like i say um whenever we're putting together like events calendars or like looking ahead i always get really proud of our community and another place it'd be all like bar open mic nights no (laughs) offense like those are cool too um but 
Moab's really weird because it's like 80% interesting, like, Mm -hmm. you know, citizen engagement things. Like, it's really cool for a very small town, Mm -hmm. you know, where people can get involved in in local government or sciences at almost every level. It's um, kind of amazing. Of course, more information about this um, in the Moab Sun News this week. Remind us again the date of when this training is coming up. That is going to be on June 22nd. Maggie McGuire, editor at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly news reel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes at our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thank you for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.